Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 12, verse 37 to 50. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes me believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is the word of God. Hi, Good New Hope. Thanks for reading God's word to us, Matt. Appreciate it, brother. And thank you to the rest of you who are serving during this worship service. I want to invite you, New Hope, to open up to... John chapter 12, if you've got a Bible somewhere around you, whether it's in your device or somewhere in your house, grab it. Open up to John chapter 12, please. Verse 37. We're going to look at these words that Matt just read to us. And we're going to ask this. What does this passage teach us about belief and about unbelief in Jesus? What does this passage teach us about belief in Jesus and unbelief? In Jesus. So we're going to start with the second one first. What does it teach us about unbelief? Well, in verse 37, John tells us that though Jesus had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Many people saw Jesus do amazing things. John documents this for us. He tells us that many people saw Jesus do stuff like this. He healed a boy that was near death. He restored the body of a paralyzed man. He gave sight to a man who was born blind. Many people saw him feed over 5,000 people, probably upwards of 15,000 people, with one boy's little lunch. And many, many people saw Jesus raise a man from the dead. And yet, he says, they still did not believe in him. They refuse to believe in him. And we got to ask why. So let's try to piece it together. In verse 47, Jesus himself describes unbelief this way. He says unbelief is, it's, it's hearing his words and not keeping them. And keeping his words here, keeping doesn't just mean obeying his words, like obeying his commands. It means more than that. The word for keeping here, it means receiving his words. It means accepting Literally, it means to guard his words. You see, it means to, to make them, uh, to take them in, in and, and view them as valuable. 
You see, according to Jesus, many people witnessed his miraculous actions. They saw with their own eyes what he could do. But it's his words that they were unwilling to accept. His teachings, his claims about himself. His actions proved who he was. They proved that he was the savior that they needed. But they wouldn't accept his words. When he claimed to be the Messiah in John 4, or when he claimed to be sent by God the Father and, and claimed to be equal with God the Father, or when he said, I am the resurrection and the life, anyone who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Or when he said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. They heard all of these things. And although these people loved what they saw, they would not accept these words. Actually, some of them did accept the words for a little while, some of the words at least, for a short while, and even followed Jesus for a time. In John 6, after Jesus claims to be the bread of life, though, it says that many of his disciples heard it and they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And then in John 6, verse 66, he goes on to say, after this, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And those were the very same people, the very same crowd that saw him feed thousands with those five rolls of bread and, and two fish. And yet when he started to say things like, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, if you follow me, if you eat my flesh, he says, if you, if you partake of me, if you believe in me, you'll never hunger or thirst again. I'll give you eternal satisfaction. They said, this is a hard saying. Can't follow this. And they walked away. So at least, at least, we have to say this, in part, unbelief is an unwillingness to accept what Jesus says. Either because you find it untrustworthy or because you simply don't like it. And there are a lot of us who might say, I would believe in Jesus, and I would believe all his words. Everything he said, I would accept it if he were to show up in my life and do something miraculous. But the fact is, Jesus performed signs. But the signs themselves never triggered real faith. The, the spectacle didn't convince or convert anyone. In fact, as the, as the signs themselves got bigger and people continued to disbelieve, their hearts actually got harder. Now, I'm not saying that these signs didn't matter. They did, and they, they, they influenced, and they helped people believe. For some, they did trigger an immediate belief, an interest, and, and, and even faith. But in order for those people to continue believing and to continue following Jesus, it wasn't just a matter of seeing more signs. They had to start accepting what Jesus said. It's ironic that as the signs got bigger in the Gospel of John, people's hearts got harder towards Jesus. He starts out by changing water into wine, and people are amazed. And it's as many people believed in him that day. Fast forward some years down the road, and forget about turning water into wine. Jesus now raised a dead man from the grave. 
And some people saw it and were like, nah, no big deal. I mean, it's amazing, but I can't really trust everything he has to say. I mean, he did raise this man from the dead, but can I really believe that he can give me eternal life? Nah, not ready. Not ready to trust him on that. And this is telling. It's telling us that signs in and of themselves, they can amaze us. But human nature being what it is, we would probably get over those signs. We'd get over the amazement after a while, and we would get on with our lives. It's just one aspect, one evidence of our fallen condition. We will get over the signs if we're not willing to accept what Jesus has to say. In the verse leading up to this one, in verse 37, the verses leading up to verse 37, Jesus has been talking about giving up claims on one's own life. He's saying that the way to get eternal life is to actually give up your life. He's been talking about giving up your life for him and to him, living for him instead of living for yourself. He's been talking about the call to glorify him with your life. And many, many people will hear those words and say, nah. The signs are amazing. At least they're interesting. But now nah, I'm not ready to give my life up. I'm not ready to submit to you as king. And, and with that response, verse 48 tells us, you are rejecting Jesus. By not receiving his words, you are not receiving him. And that means that there is really no space for us to say things like, I'm fine with Christ. I'm good with him. Yeah, I like him. The way he lived, what he did. I can even co-sign some of the things he said, sure. But I really can't get to the place of submitting my life to him as king. Jesus has no space for that kind of response because he says, if you won't receive my words, you have actively rejected me. And then really takes it a step further. Look at verse 48. He says, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say, as the Father has told me. Christ says, when you reject my words, you don't only reject me, you reject God himself, your creator. The words that I'm bringing to you are his words. God the Father has given me these words. So when you reject my words, you're rejecting me, you're rejecting God's words, you're rejecting him. When you shy away from what Jesus has to say, you are actively stiff-arming God. There's nothing passive about unbelief, you see. When you shy away from Jesus' words, you are stiff-arming God. There's an aggressiveness to unbelief. It's an active rejection of the God who right now is sustaining our lives. Everything in your life and mine comes from him. Everything you enjoy and I enjoy has come from him. 
everything that we take for granted, it's all from him. And he says, unwillingness to accept what Jesus has to say about himself and about you, it's rejecting God. Now, now there are so many reasons that you or I might refuse to accept Jesus' words. So many. Think about the things that have kept you from believing, either in the past or maybe even right now. So many factors, but the, so many reasons for unbelief. But when, when the scriptures comment on why these people here didn't believe in Jesus, the scriptures say there, there's an underlying reason underneath all of those surface reasons. And it's astounding. So first, in verse 37 and 38, he says their, their, their unbelief was actually fulfilling prophecy. When they rejected Jesus, they were actually doing what the prophets had said they would do. It was expected and predicted by God through the prophet Isaiah. But, but that's not the only thing going on here. Here's the underlying reason John says, inspired author of this book, for why these people were not believing in Jesus. Verse 39, therefore, they could not believe. You see that? They could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of them. So John is quoting the prophet Isaiah for the second time here. And the prophet Isaiah is the one who, in Isaiah chapter 6, he saw firsthand the glory of God the Son. He came face to face with God the Son before God the Son had taken on flesh and become a, a human. And Isaiah after that, after that interaction with God the Son, became a messenger to deliver his words. But God tells him, he says, I'm going to blind people's eyes and harden their hearts so that they don't receive what you tell them from me. And John is now taking those words and he's applying it to the people who were refusing to believe in Jesus in Jerusalem on that day. And he's saying, when they refuse to believe, yes, it's because they're just rejecting Jesus' words. Yes, it was predicted by the prophet. But what they're doing, their unbelief, is because they don't see Jesus for who he really is. You see, unbelief is a failure to see Jesus. It's, it's not seeing him. It's maybe seeing some of his miracles, but you don't really see him for who he is. You see him and you don't, if that makes any sense. You look at him, but you miss the reality of who he is. So, of course, you're not going to accept what he says because you haven't seen him for who he is. You haven't seen him for the glorious son of God that he is. And so when he speaks truth to you, you either shy away from them or you doubt them. You ignore them. You see Jesus. You might hear about him. You might read about him in the scriptures and miss him. Not really see him for who he truly is. 
I can say for myself that that describes me for the first half of my life. Hearing about Jesus in the church that my parents would take me to. Hearing about Jesus at home. Seeing Jesus, like his character and his words walked out and displayed by my parents and by others I knew. I saw Jesus in some ways, but I didn't really see him. I never really saw him for who he was. There was some interest, but I never caught a glimpse of his glory that led me to say, Lord, King, Savior, you're my hope, and I want to live for you. And that's what was going on with these folks. Jesus is referring to, said they they don't really see him. And more than that, more than that, maybe you notice this, verse 39 doesn't just say they couldn't see him. It says they couldn't, they could not believe. And then verse 40, it says, he that is God has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Verse 40 is telling us that underlying the the reasons, the underlying reason for their unbelief is that God had actually blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Now, Now, those are the kinds of words from Jesus that are very hard for us to accept. They may be anyway. These are difficult words. These are, these are deep waters that we're walking into here. There are no neat, easy explanations for this. This is mystery, and, and it should push us to humble awe before God. And, and perhaps we can't explain it fully, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. So let's try to understand. Let's try to explain this. Here's what's going on. What the prophet Isaiah is describing in, back in Isaiah 6 and what John is explaining here in John chapter 12, verse 40. He's saying that as these people continue to see signs from Jesus, continue to hear his words, and continue to reject him, God himself, in holy judgment, hardened and blinded their eyes. As they continue to see and reject, God came and began to blind their eyes so they would not see so clearly. Harden their hearts so they would not respond in faith. It's what theologians call judicial hardening. Judicial hardening. It's a a hardening that God is doing as an act of judgment. And this isn't the only place this shows up in the Bible. We see it in the book of Exodus. Maybe some of you remember this. As Pharaoh continued to reject God's call to let his people go. What happened? He continued to reject God's words. God hardened his heart. We see it in Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 1. But as I looked, this is the best explanation I could find for what's going on here. It's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. At the end of verse 10, it says this of people who also refused to believe in Jesus. It says they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, 
God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You see what God's describing here. He's saying, when we continue to refuse to love God's truth, we keep rejecting it, and instead we continue to love unrighteousness. We continue to just take pleasure in and love sin. And we stay on that path, and God patiently continues to give us truth, but we consistently refuse to believe it. And we just hang on harder, cling harder to the sin we love. It says God will send a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. This comes to us as a warning. The warning is, if if you're not believing in Jesus now, and if you continue to ignore Jesus' words, you can learn to become deaf to them. If you continue to look past Jesus, ignore him, you see him, but you turn away, you don't want to see him, you ignore him, you may very well become completely blind to him. Now, that's not a scare tactic that I'm using to try to get people to believe in Jesus, but it is a sober warning, and it's what the Bible presents to us. You continue to ignore Jesus, you, get, you learn to become blind and deaf to him. You train yourself. In a sense, it's just human nature. You just kind of develop a hardening, a jadedness, right? But God is saying it's not just you getting jaded. It's God himself coming in judgment and saying, your eyes will now be blind. Mark Dever says, Mark Dever says, the unbelief that we treat lightly, God treats very seriously. And God has a track record of giving people over to their unbelief. Again, I refer to my own experiences growing up. I think that me in my young adolescence and in my young adulthood, I probably would have said, I'm not actively rejecting God. I'm just withholding a decision here, right? I'm not ready to believe. Maybe I believe, but I'm not sure. I'm kind of lukewarm in my whole response to who he is. I simply did nothing in response to God. At least I thought I was doing nothing. And and it was kind of a passive unbelief. But what I didn't realize is that as I was doing that, my heart was growing harder. My eyes were growing dimmer until one day I rejected Jesus outright. I couldn't see anything good in him. I couldn't see anything good in his word anymore. I found myself in a place where I could not believe. And the, the things that at one time probably sounded somewhat plausible and at least interesting, became trash to me. No interest at all. No belief at all in the gospel. And as I look back on that time, 
it makes me, it, it scares me, it frightens me because I remember a time when I felt like I'd been given over. Praise God, that wasn't the end of the story. And that takes us to the second question we need to ask. What does this passage tell us about belief? All right, we saw what it tells us about unbelief. What does it tell us about belief? Verse 44, and Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. And I have come into this world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. He's crying out to the people here. He's telling us that belief is seeing Jesus for who he really is, as God the Son himself. And, and the fact that he is the one, the fact is he is the one who can give us the ability to see him for who he is. He's the one who gives sight. He says, I've come into this world as light. What does it mean? What does light do? The one who is blind lives in darkness, complete darkness. But, but when the light comes in, the light can give us the ability to see. It, it, it makes obvious to us what once we had no awareness of at all. You see, this God that's presented to us in John 12, this God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, he can blind eyes, that's right, but he can also give sight. Praise him. He can give sight. And he loves doing it. Last week we saw that, that God draws people to Jesus and, and Jesus draws people to himself, right? And we said it's one and the same. God the Father draws people to his Son. God the Son draws people to himself. And no one's going to come to him unless they're being drawn by him. And it's the same idea here, but from a slightly different angle. God gives the ability to see Jesus for who he is. Jesus the Son, he himself gives the ability to see him for who he is. God the Father and God the Son are unified in this. They do it together. So that Jesus can say, I have come as light into the world. And this echoes what John says at the very beginning of this book. At the very beginning of the Gospel of John, in John 1, verse 9, it says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus came into the world to give sight, to cast light, to give faith. But so many would reject his words. And in doing that, they would reject him. But some would believe. And to those who do believe, verse 12, he gave the right to become children of God. 
Have you experienced that? Have you experienced this? Have you believed in Jesus and he has given you the right to become children of God? John experienced this. Many of us on this call, I can see some of your faces. Some of us, we, we, we believed in Jesus, the Son of God. And he has now given us the right to become children of God. And I love how John describes what it means to have believed in him here. At the end of verse 14, he says, here's what it means to believe. He says, we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We saw him for who he was. We saw his glory. You see, believing, truly believing in Jesus, it means you've seen his glory. Seeing is believing. And believing is seeing. You saw him for who he is. The only son from the father. You've recognized, to use the language we used last week, you've recognized the weight of his unmatched power and mercy and his love and his justice and his holiness and his perfection. You've, you've caught a vision of it, a glimpse of it. Jesus wants us to know that, that this glory it's displayed like nowhere else in the crucifixion. Remember, in this whole passage that we're reading in John chapter 12, Jesus' mind is on his impending death. God has glorified himself many ways. But Jesus is thinking here about how he's going to glorify himself through the crucifixion itself, where we see, we catch a glimpse of who God is. We catch a glimpse of the fact that he is a just and holy, perfectly righteous God who must and will punish sin and must and will confront evil and crush it. But then we also look at the cross and we see the unmatched glory of his mercy and his love because he says, I will crush sin, I will defeat evil, I will deal with sin by taking your place. I'll die for you. I'll face the consequences of your rejecting of my word for all those years. I'll face the consequences of every time you ignored what I had to say to you. Take the consequences for every time you refuse to submit to me as king and decided to rule your own life. And so we see in the cross the majesty and the, the, the perfect justice of God, and we see his mercy and his love, his grace to us. Do you see God's glory in the cross? Like the prophet way back in Isaiah 6, he saw the glory of God. If you've believed in Jesus, it's because you've seen the glory of God as well. Maybe you want to see more. I want to see more. You want to know more of it. You want it to be more real, more weighty to you. There's no doubt. But if you believe in Jesus, it's because you caught a glimpse of his glory. And because you've seen it, you have no choice but to say, Lord, I'm yours. Have you had that experience? Have you caught a glimpse of his unique, indescribable glory? as you've considered the cross. And because you've seen his glory, have you accepted his words? 
John tells us his words are full of truth. They can be trusted. He only speaks truth all the time. And he's full of grace to you. That means his truth is not truth that will condemn you and crush you. If you receive it, his truth is truth that comes to you. It's grace. An unearned gift. Blessing. He wants to forgive, to take your guilt, to take your shame. He's not expecting you to make up for any of it. He's not expecting you to earn a piece of it. He says, receive my words, both my promises and my commands. He's saying, believe in me. You hope these verses present us with a very big God, a sovereign God. He's able to blind hearts of people who actively reject him, and he's able to give light, to give sight, to see him for who he is and believe. You see the glory in that? This is not some small God who's waiting on us. This is a God who actively moves towards us. He's a God who doesn't passively stand by worrying and hoping that you'll believe in him. But he actively works and he moves. Even in the hearts of people he created. Here's a takeaway from all this. It means that when Jesus does call you, when he speaks to you through his word, as perhaps he is doing even now, you hear him? Respond by believing. And, and when you do, before long, what you'll find out as you look back, if you believe in him and you start looking back, you'll find that you weren't just hearing and trusting his words alone all that time. You weren't aware of it, but, but he himself was at work. He was moving. He was working. He was bringing light to your eyes so that you could see him for who he is. That certainly is my experience. Following the season when I felt like I was in complete darkness, like I had been given over, like my eyes had been blinded. I was trying to read my Bible out of desperation, trying to get a sense of, of can, can I see who this Jesus is? I remember a time in the past where, where, where there was a little bit of interest in my heart and, and maybe there was a little bit of, 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 of willingness to follow him. And I started reading my Bible, trying to recapture that, and it was going nowhere because I'd spent so many years hardening my heart towards God, ignoring what he had to say to me. But God, but God, out of his deep love for me, and because of his great mercy, he opened my eyes. And I began to see in the pages of a Bible a Savior who is not just interesting and worth, worthy of my attention, but again, began to see a Savior who I needed desperately. And the Lord who I wanted to submit to and serve and follow. Praise be to God. He opens up the eyes of blind people, even the willfully blind. 
This is a big God, a sovereign God. And if you've believed in Jesus, perhaps your experience is similar to mine. Like I said, these verses present to us a sovereign God. What we've seen today is meant to, to move us to worship him. Don't, don't settle for a vision of God that's neat and tidy and easy to get your head around. He will prove insufficient for you. See the God of the Bible for who he is. His ways are not our ways. He's a God who's not bound by our understanding. He's the one who, he, he defeats death by dying himself. He, he exalts himself through a gruesome death on a cross. He's the one who, who judges and yet also weeps for those whom he judges. He redeems a rebellious bunch of people and he does it by sending to die his perfectly obedient and loving son. His ways are not our ways. This is beyond our comprehension. He's the one who says, believe in me. And he also gives you the ability to believe the way that he demands. You see the glory in all of that? Do you see the weight of glory in this inexplicable God? Again, it's meant to move us to worship him and to worship no one else and to fear no one else. You know, right in the middle of this passage we were reading, we kind of breezed over it, but in verse 42, it says, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. You see what's happening here? This is what happens when your God is so small and people are big. Fear sets in. A fear that's, that, that's a fear of others, of their opinions, of idolatry sets in. You see, the folks who refer to in these verses, they had not truly seen the glory, the bigness, the weight of the glory of God. And so they loved the glory of people more, the respect of others, the acceptance of others. People were more glorious to them than God. Can you relate to that? I mean, it's easy to judge them, but I can relate to that. Don't, don't we all have to admit that we struggle with this at some point or another? We hold people in awe. Their opinions of us are huge. They hold a weight with us. And at times, they're even bigger to us than God is. Because we're failing to see his glory, and overestimating the glory of others. It's funny, it says that these, these people, so these Pharisees, they wouldn't confess that they believed in Jesus. They were kind of on the, on the, on the, on the fence. They're like, I don't want to really say I believe in him. They might put me out of the synagogue. You know, there's someone in the Gospel of John who actually did get put out of the synagogue. There's a blind man, a man born blind that Jesus found and gave sight to. For the first time in his life, this man could see through his eyes and he saw 
Not only with his eyes, the man Jesus Christ, but he saw with the eyes of his heart the glory of Jesus Christ. And he confessed it openly. And as a result, they kicked him out of the synagogue, which means they kicked him out of the community. He was ostracized. He was put to shame. And he was fine with that because his eyes had seen the glory of the Lord. This is what happens when we have a God who's big in our eyes. We don't mind rejection from others. We can't love or serve others when we fear them and, and we see them as glorious. Jesus says, you need to see me for who I am, and then you'll be able to love and serve others. Because I'm the one who created this world. It all belongs to him, including you and I. And so when he is bigger in our estimation than others, when he's more glorious than what you can get by appeasing or impressing others, then we won't fear people anymore. We won't live for anyone anymore. Isn't that freeing? <laughs> By seeing the glory of God, we, we're freed to live the way he calls us to. We're free to point other people to him and to pray that he'll open up their eyes to see his glory too. New Hope, let's embrace the hugeness of God, the complexity of who he is in Jesus Christ. Let's embrace that with a kind of childlike faith. This is, I don't completely understand how God can be this, the way he describes himself. The one who blinds eyes and hardens hearts, but also opens eyes and gives faith. I don't get it. That's okay. Let's come with childlike faith and accept it. And you know what this means with childlike faith? I don't mean simple-minded, gullible acceptance. I mean childlike faith, the, the kind of childlike faith that's, that's intrigued by the unexplainable. The, the child who, who looks at the world that he can't understand and he marvels at it. It's amazing to him. Not because he's dumb, but because there's so much he doesn't know. So much to learn. And, and so it engages his imagination. And we say to that little child, one day you'll understand more. <laughs> and it excites them. New Hope, we are made to marvel and wonder at nothing more than at God himself. So as we walk through the rest of this Gospel of John, I want to invite you to, to marvel at God. To see Jesus to ask, the, to ask him to open your eyes by his spirit to see the glory of who he is and marvel at him and believe. And to trust that one day we will see him face to face. And our faith will become sight. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, as we read your words and we seek to just do our best to unpack them and understand them, more than anything, I'm, I'm astounded by not just your sovereignty, but by your great love and mercy, that you would reveal yourself to us in the way you have in your word. 
Give us eyes to see you, Lord. I pray for people on this call who maybe have yet to get a glimpse of your glory, yet to get a sense of who you really are. Would you please, in mercy, in love, Lord, wouldn't it glorify you if you did this? If right now you were to open up their eyes to see you for the first time for who you really are, the awesome spectrum of your characteristics, your attributes of holiness and justice and love and mercy and perfection and power. Would you please do this? Oh, and for those of us who, who, who know you, we've believed in you, Lord. Oh, please, we need more light. We need to see more of you. We trust you will reveal more of yourself to us. And we can't wait for that day when we will see you face to face. It's in your name we pray. Amen.